Hey, what's up? You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show podcast. Thanks for checking it out and make sure you subscribed. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock All right, Hammer. So one of the few, if not only figures linked to the Delphi murder investigation is going to be heard or was heard today for the first time. Keegan Klein appeared in court, but the charges have nothing to do with the Delphi killings. Correct. Uh, he's never been charged with anything related to the Delphi killings, but he did communicate with Liberty German the day she went missing. So the pre-trial conference for Keegan Klein took place in Peru earlier today. It was only about five minutes long, and he appeared via a video conference, and nothing really was said. They have a final pre-trial conference confirmed uh, at a later date. This has to do with like uh, child porn-related charges, right? right? This is what this is. Because that's what got him locked up in the first place bunch of child porn Mm. but then some questions started to arise about whether or not he was a figure in the deaths of those two young ladies in delphi and on february 25th 2017 this was 11 days after liberty german and abby williams were found murdered police raided keegan klein's house he had just returned from some trip or vacation to las vegas now according to the court documents While he was in Vegas, he used his cell phone several times to search for news stories about the Delphi murders. And then when he got back to Indiana, he deleted a bunch of apps from his phone, put one of his phones in a microwave, and police were able to recover quite a bit of information from one of the phones and other electronic devices he tried to destroy. So there's quite a bit going on here already. He was re, he was he was interacting with them with the girls or at least with Liberty German through that Anthony Schatz account, right? right? The fake social media with the fake picture, catfishing account, catfishing account. Yeah, it was a social media profile with this young, buff, good-looking dude, but in reality, it was Keegan Klein that was running it, who looks nothing like that. Um, during an interrogation with the police in March of 2022. This is according to the Murder Sheet podcast. Klein denied having any direct knowledge of what was happening with the Delphi murders. Earlier this year, state police took Keegan Klein from his Miami County jail for further questioning. Now, we don't know where they went, what they talked about, but this is pretty interesting. But this did not come up today in his pretrial conference. Again, today had nothing to do with with anything Delphi related. It was just Keegan Klein appearing via a video. There's a lot of circumstantial stuff, though, that just makes you wonder if he has any knowledge of anybody else that possibly had access to that account that was communicating with those girls. And the fact that he talked to them the day they went missing is really, really suspicious to me. And authorities have been searching the Wabash, which is near his home, for a number of weeks. They just wrapped up a couple weeks ago. They were there for a while. We don't know what they were looking for. Maybe it had something to do with the conversation they had when they took him out of custody. But again, Keegan Klein facing 30 child porn related charges. Amazing. It's almost what we're creeping up on six years here, Hammer. And we don't really know a whole hell of a lot of details about this case.
So if we get any sort of information, if we can kind of put this puzzle piece together, we will yeah. certainly bring that information to you as we have covered this story from the very beginning. And uh, I know there's a lot of people that are really interested in what's happening with this what, case. What was the the podcast again? I know you've talked to those people that run the podcast a, a number of different times. I the murder sheet. The murder sheet. Okay. Yes. And they've done the legwork on a lot of this information that came out by getting the court documents. Information we wouldn't have known otherwise. Otherwise, uh, uh, if not for their investigative skills, and they did make sure they did their due diligence to make sure and and ask the police, hey, we have this information. Um, this is not going to jeopardize the case, is it? And we're going to publish it. And and I think that's the main thing you got to know about these guys is that when they find something out that it's not really made immediately available to the public, they make sure it's not going to jeopardize the integrity of the investigation. Correct, one hundred percent. Mondo, we haven't done this in a while. Hit me with some vaccine stuff. Oh, yeah. Pharmacies, antibodies, side effects, vaccine stuff. So we were on the air yesterday when the vote came down from the CDC, and it was a unanimous vote where they're going to recommend that school districts add COVID vaccine to their list of required vaccines students need to enroll in school. There was a vote yesterday. There was another vote confirming it today. Yeah. So Tucker Carlson, of course, Fox News, the number one rated host at all of primetime, he's been talking about this story all week. That got the attention of the folks at the CDC. And they put out kind of a snarky tweet saying that people concerned that the CDC will, quote, force schools to add this shot are overreacting because that's not actually within the CDC's authority. They tweeted this out yesterday, kind of a passive aggressive shot at Tucker Carlson. Well, not one to take this kind of stuff. Tucker responded last night. More than a dozen states follow the CDC's immunization schedule to set vaccination requirements, not suggestions, requirements for children to be educated. For example, the Virginia Department of Health states that, quote, vaccines must be administered in accordance with the CDC's schedule. The state of Massachusetts says, quote, no student shall attend a preschool, elementary school, or secondary school program without a certificate of immunization documenting that a child has been successfully immunized in accordance with a schedule that was, quote, developed in accordance with the recommendations of the CDC's advisory panel. Tennessee says its immunization requirement, quote, follow the current schedule from the CDC. New Jersey, Vermont, Ohio say virtually the same thing. We could go on. The point is the CDC sets the standard and then it becomes required across the country and of course they know that of course they know that if they know anything they know that so we called the cdc and asked a simple question do you deny that once the covid vaccine is added to the childhood immunization schedule many schools and states will require it based on your recommendation and of course they know that's true we caught them lying, so they didn't even bother to respond to us because apparently we're not American citizens and don't deserve a response. Of course not. And there's really no explanation at all that's logical to mandate a, a, a vaccine, an emergency use drug for this disease that poses little to ze- I mean, zero risk to the vast majority of kids 
that it uh, that it happens. So I, I uh, and it shows you parents all over the country rejecting their vaccines for these kids. I mean, barely two percent of kids under five and, and fewer than what I, I think I said yesterday. One in three from five to eleven are full, fully vaxxed. Right. Parents are rejecting this, and so. This is one thing where I've read a book. Trust me, when this hit yesterday, I was like, whoa. Okay, because look, I got the vaccine. That's fine. Uh, the, you know, my wife and I, what we do with our kids and their vaccine schedule is totally different than than what we did with ours. So uh, there are some theories are that the big pharma, um, it's it's this is kind of providing big pharma with a shield to uh, of immunity regardless of emergency orders because right now they're under immunity with the emergency order act and it's going to last what biden just did it again through next next year so by putting this on the vaccine schedule uh, for kids this provides some sort of shield of immunity regardless of emergency orders but you know why the cdc is getting cocky about this because they know at the end of the day there are policies in place from each state to where they're ultimately going to get their way. The CDC can absolutely come out and say, whoa, whoa, we can't demand that schools do this. But you heard Tucker, there's a lot of states that have it in place right now where the policy is whatever the CDC says, we're going to go with. So if the CDC says, guess what? You're going to have to have a COVID vaccine. Those states, if they truly go along with the CDC, We'll have to make a decision. Are we going to change what our state goes by? Or are we just going to defer to the CDC and make these kids get the vaccine? That's what Tucker's bringing up last night. The CDC is getting cocky because they know there's a workaround and that a lot of states just have it set up to where they're going to go along and go with the flow no matter what happens. And that's a problem. Um, It's a problem if you're concerned about your kid and whether or not you want to vaccinate him or her or not. This is a big deal. Please pay attention to this. I know we will. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. Yeah, earlier we were talking about the CDC voting to add COVID shots to the recommended childhood schedule, the immunizations, thus could open a way to school for schools to mandate the mRNA shots. I like what DeSantis from uh, Florida had to say after this uh, after this vote. Didn't he? Quote. He's basically like, yeah, it ain't happening here in Florida. As right? long as I am governor in Florida, there will not be a COVID-19 vaccine mandate for children in our schools. Just a, in quote. It's no sense for mandating an emergency use drug for something. It's a disease that literally poses zero to... Uh, risk for the vast majority of kids in this country doesn't make sense i want to talk about a crazy lunatic with bees i teased that can we get into the crazy lunatic with bees oh i'd love to i'd love to please a massachusetts woman is accused of releasing bees on police officers who are trying to serve an eviction notice local lunatic rory susan woods was apparently part of a protest and arrived with a flatbed with multiple beehives and began opening up the lids. Here at the Hammer and Nigel show, we've actually obtained the audio. Oh, this is very graphic. Of this This lunatic opening up the bees. Oh, no, not the bees! (laughs) Not the bees! Ah! Open up my eyes! My eyes! Ah! Ah! 
Is that the Wicker Man? I think so. Nicholas Cage. Sorry for those eviction officers, man. Like, I didn't think Uh, it was possible for Nicholas Cage to have a worse acting performance than Con Air. Why didn't you put down the bunny? (laughs) But the bees right there. Can I hear the bees one more time? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Isn't he? Isn't he buried up to his? I mean, I don't know what circumstances led to that scene, but isn't he buried up to his neck and they put a, like a beehive over his head? Right, like this big jar yeah, that has yeah, yeah. bees in it. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever find yourself in that situation, like yeah, you're, you're screwed. Basically. <laughs> yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I got myself in this situation. Uh, TKW hit me with a little Halloween stuff. Pumpkins. Candy, costumes, Halloween stuff. So I don't have TikTok, Nige. Do you ever scroll through? Do you have a TikTok account? No. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my daughter does. It's like a private one or whatever, but she's on that thing constantly. So do you know who this woman is who's famous on TikTok for know. doing commentaries from her car? I have no clue. Aren't they all famous for doing commentaries from the car? <laughs> it's all the same thing. Chicks looking into the phone, making commentaries from their vehicle. Right. Well, there's one, I guess, that's really famous, and she does these commentaries from her car. And this one was a special (laughs) Halloween theme. Take a listen. So not a big Halloween person. I like it. I put out a couple pumpkins. I don't get all the decorations. I don't get it. I don't get the skeletons and the witches and the brooms and the keep out and the this way to the mortuary and the giant blow up Caspers or whatever that people, I just don't (laughs) get it. It's not my thing. It's not my aesthetic. You know, I like a fall welcome mat and a pumpkin. These people who have had their decorations up already for a month and will have it up for another month or two, do not come at me when my Christmas lights are still up in January, okay? (laughs) Not your business. I'm not getting in your business with all your spooky stuff up for months and months and months. You stay out of my business if my red and greens are up for a little extra time. That's all I'm saying. You see how she turned it around there? I see what she did. Right. People look at you sideways when your Christmas lights are still up in February. Yeah, but how about when you put your Halloween decorations up in July? (laughs) Okay. I see what she did. That's pretty that's pretty creative. You know, it's funny though, like she'll draw the line at putting out scary stuff in October, but being a grown ass adult doing videos in your car for TikTok, <laughs> that's perfectly fine. That's okay. I didn't think but, about it like that. You know, we can't have any Halloween decorations here. Um Get this. If you're somebody that feels like the holidays tend to overlap way too soon, listen to this. Black Friday deals are starting even before Thanksgiving. Some stores are already rolling out Black Friday deals. Before Halloween. (laughs) Right. We haven't even got the Halloween yet. Uh, And stores are rolling out Black Friday specials. nuts. It kind of feels like the last couple of years... 
Black Friday's lost a lot of its juice because everybody just shops online yeah. right now. People don't go out to the stores, you know, like 4 o'clock in the morning like they used to. But if the savings are already here, the Hammer and Nigel show, we are here to capitalize with the latest single from Hammer and Nigel Records. Rock bottom discounts at Walmart and Macy's. Victoria's Secret to get something racy. Stores have way too much inventory. I'm Christmas shopping before Halloween. I'll buy dog clothes, a new garden hose. Buy one, get one free. There's only one good thing about inflation I've seen. Black Friday sale. Before Halloween. I remember when uh, Tony Katz used to have his big Black Friday show. And this is when I was the promotions director. I went out to, it was oh, a yeah. Walmart in Camby, and I saw a fight break out over a waffle maker. A waffle. I thought it was a toaster. A waffle maker. A waffle maker, yes. Uh, all those waffle makers are very valuable. Uh, dude, uh, I do love a good waffle. Yeah, but y- you're right. The... Black Friday sales are are diminished by what you the kind of deals you could get on Amazon. We got a big TV on Amazon a few years ago for like five hundred bucks, right? Like a sixty five incher from a, a I think it was a Samsung, which I thought was a pretty good deal and free uh, free delivery. So it's like. All right, but you guys still, the Hammer household still gets out there and gets after it. Let me make this perfectly clear. Crystal Hammer gets out there and gets after it. Jason Hammer stays home with his big fat ass still in the bed. All right. (laughs) It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. The Hammer and Nigel Show. It's very, very noisy. 93 WIPC. It's the natural way radio should be. Hammer, I saw that UPS is hiring a bunch of people for the holidays. About 2,200 people or so. Okay. Everybody loves a UPS driver. Like the UPS driver in my neighborhood, everybody loves them. Like we leave them gift cards, Christmas, tips, birthdays. I think somebody put a sign up in our yard for his 50th birthday. Uh, who doesn't love a good UPS driver? You guys right? have like one of those neighborhoods on TV, like where all the neighbors talk and get along yeah. and you know yeah, the yeah, UPS yeah. guy. In my neighborhood, I don't give a damn about the UPS <laughs> guy. I don't really talk to any of my neighbors and I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. Well, one of your neighbors had a feud with President Trump, so. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's actually pretty cool. All of his leaves, when they fall off of his tree, they fall <laughs> into my yard. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, 2,200 jobs open for UPS. All right, that's great. Now we have to get people to actually want to work and go to work. And whether it's UPS, whether it's fast food, whether it's any company, people are having a hard time filling all those jobs is right that, now. Is, there, is, is that coming back at all? I feel like you go different places. I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I went to Qdoba in Whitestown, and it's like 11 o'clock in the morning 11 30 maybe and i go to open the door it's locked locked and then i look and see in the sign it said sorry i'm only one person here working today doing online orders only i'm like okay I, i've seen that so, before too but then i go to chick-fil-a which is right next door they got 50 people working there <laughs> literally chick-fil-a could have between you know depending on what time of day it is what what or what day it is they have like 40 people working there and seem to have any trouble finding people 
So I just feel like it's hit or miss. I feel like if you walk into any business right now, especially like a fast food place, but really any business here on Monument Circle, if you walk in and say, are you hiring? I bet they will say yes. Uh, I think Amazon still farms out a lot of their deliveries to the uh, uh, United States Postal Service. Like uh, the official mailman of the Hammer and Nigel show, Justin, they get slammed this time of year. Just absolutely slammed. And I think, I think, as far as I know, the post office has taken on the chin in terms of how much they're charging Amazon. Right. And that was a thing with Donald Trump a couple of years ago. Like with this convenience, the man, the way that we live life in America right now, with the convenience, somebody's always going to get the shaft. Like, Mondo, with your DoorDash, a lot of these restaurants, they kind of end up getting the shaft on this because of the fees and things that go into it. They don't make a lot of money on things that you do. Yeah, sometimes the uh, restaurants aren't as friendly, and I always keep that in the back of my mind. So I'm overly friendly every time I go into the restaurants. And nothing ticks off somebody that doesn't want to be friendly than somebody that's overly friendly. So <laughs> congratulations so on annoying. making them even more mad, Kill them kill with kindness. <laughs> um, kind of a sad anniversary here in Indy today, 35 years ago today. In 1987, a plane crashed into the Ramada Inn. Oh, wow, yeah. Over by the uh, the old airport area. Um, this is what it sounded like on the air with WIBC 35 years ago today. Radio Indiana. WIBC Indianapolis. A plane crash on the west side in Indianapolis. It's 46 degrees and cloudy this afternoon. Cloudy and cool and a high of 50. Good morning. I'm Joe Pickett along with Fred Heckman, and this is WIBC News. So that was the big WIBC breaking news sounder with that iconic open, you know, that WIBC open, which I love so much. Um, If you don't know the story, a U.S. Air Force plane was flying, I believe, from Pittsburgh to like Oklahoma, and it had engine trouble, and it radioed in that it was having problems, it was really cloudy, and the plane hit the top of a bank, I think it was a bank one, over there near the old airport on Bradbury, skidded off of that, the pilot ejected, and then the plane slammed into... At the time, a Ramada Inn was standing Didn't there. Did the engine go in the lobby or something like that? The engine That's crazy. went into the lobby. It killed nine people oh, wow. instantly. Another person died like 10 days later from the severe burns. And uh, that building stood like damaged and burned for like a couple of years before it was ultimately torn down. Here's a little bit more from a 1987 and WIBC's coverage. The plane has crashed. We do have Marion County Sheriff's, city police, and state police setting up a command post near 5500 Bradbury. Uh, near the scene, or near the Ramada Inn at the, spe- uh, out at, out at the airport. We have heard reports that people have been jumping from windows out of the hotel. Wow. Uh, people in the area say all you can see is smoke coming up from the area. We do have the report that it was a military aircraft We did understand that the pilot apparently ejected from the craft. Now, that pilot was uh, Major Bruce Teagarden. Is he around? He's still around. He's a a flight instructor out in West Virginia. He teaches you how to fly those, like, biplanes, kind of. Uh, But you can find him on social media. He's still around. There was a lot of blame after this accident. The 
pilots and the Air Force blamed Indianapolis Air Traffic Control. And then in return, I think Indianapolis Air Traffic Control filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Air Force. The Air Force ultimately paid over $50,000 in property claims. That's all? That was according to the New York Times. The uh, cause of the crash, which according to our final report in January of 1988, was defective gear in the gearbox. So that happened 35 years ago today on the west side of Indianapolis. There's just like an abandoned lot where that Ramada Inn used to be, and there's like a marathon gas station right next to it. So I remember that man. It was. Uh, well, I definitely remember the aftermath. I don't. I re- don't remember it happening as you know in real time, but I remember seeing it, uh, for you know in person driving by it. Crazy stuff. I was uh, ten years old when that happened, uh, and I remember the news coverage of that. And again. It's always uh, interesting to go back and hear the coverage of WIBC uh, throughout the years. Um, Tonight is a sports equinox. Do you guys know what a sports equinox is? No. This is only the 20th time in sports history where we have had meaningful games in the NFL, college football, NBA, NHL, soccer, and golf. Like, all of that happening tonight. You can bet on all of these things (laughs) happening tonight. Now, speaking of the NHL, they have released the results of their first ever diversity and inclusion report, Nige. And this may come as a shock to you, but there's not a lot of black people that are employed with hockey teams. Uh, According Hmm. to the data, the league workforce is 83.6% white, 4.1% seven percent asian and 3.74 percent black so what do we do with this information hockey is mostly white does this offend people is this a problem Man, it is what, what it, to do it, it is what it is i'm sure they'd like to just in terms of marketing grow their base and diversify their audience a little bit more when you're talking about dollars and cents and then obviously they probably would like to have more of a diverse um, employer base as well. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to convince minorities and people of color or whatever to to go play. If they want to play hockey, they're going to play hockey. Right. I don't know what you do. <laughs> I don't know how you fix Or even that be problem. interested in hockey. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes maybe the group you're looking to grow to doesn't like your product. Like, I'm sure NASCAR certainly wants to grow their base, but there's not a lot of minorities. There are some. But there's not a lot that are saying, hot damn, I'm into NASCAR. So, listen, I bet if somebody that was of color wanted to work for the NHL and they knocked on the door and said, hey, Montreal Canadiens, I've got this degree. I love hockey. Hire me right away. I bet they'd say, hell yeah, come on in. Kind of bringing it back full circle to what we talked about. There's a lot of people that would love to fill jobs with people of any color right now, especially minorities. But there has to be the demand of people that want to work. So that's the latest from the NHL. We don't know exactly uh, what to do with this information, but they put out that report. So there you go. Uh, Coming up next, we've got an interesting story about a woman and breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and things falling off. What? Now, if that's not a tease, I don't know what it is. Oh boy. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. 
You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. Uh, Joe Biden campaigning with Fetter Woman. Oh, good Lord. The Eagles. Uh, in Pennsylvania, <laughs> Philly, uh, earlier today, we'll have audio of that. Give you an update. That's coming up after 4 o'clock. My name's Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. This is really weird. Kind of gross, actually. This chick on TikTok says that her <clears throat> nipple broke off. Ooh. Eek. While her child was nursing, and it caused him to choke. This is uh, Brooke explaining what happened. Felt really positive the baby's gaining weight until I noticed the latch was not so good. My nipple started to turn black at the base and white at the tip. That's a signal for bad blood flow. That's dead tissue. I latched my baby boy on. He's nursing and he stops. I'm looking down. He's kind of choking. My oh. nipple broke off and oh. he had it in his mouth. Oh, baby's okay, but it might be time to switch to formula. Oh, <laughs> your, your nipples are falling off while you're trying to feed your kid, your newborn. Thanks, Biden. I couldn't <laughs> find any formula around because of your policies and your administration, and now my nipples are falling off. <laughs> Some people have trouble. I know we did at least with our first kid. They had we had trouble getting him to attach, and they had to have a specialist come in. And, and sit with us and work with the infant and, and my wife to there's like specialists that actually do that she was really good but I've never heard of that before how would you I've feel never... if it was a dude specialist and he yeah. came by I was, like I, if Pete I, Davidson came by <laughs> and he said ah, I'm here I'm the specialist <laughs> I go alright homie I got this <laughs> you can turn right back around and walk out I appreciate your credentials <laughs> I'm sure you're very good at what you do but I'm going to have to ask you to leave <laughs> dude the, I mean breastfeeding is so weird though to me man like because chicks are like like there's extra amounts of it so you heard females like donate their breast milk because they have so much of it they have this like suction pump that they just sit there when the kid's not eating or in, in bed or sleeping. They just sit there and pump it into this bag. And then you either save it, you freeze it, or you donate it. So, then that, you know, I, I just think it'd be kind of odd to use somebody else's breast milk to feed my kid. Desperate times call for desperate measures, man. If it's either that or sure. nothing, yeah. I guess. I mean, you'll do whatever it takes. Um, baseball playoffs are underway uh, in the American League. You've got game two tonight. It's the Astros and the Yankees. A lot of bad blood right there, so that's a fun series. In the National League, the two lowest odds teams, according to Las Vegas, that made the playoffs are playing for a chance to go to the World Series. It's the Phillies and it's the Padres. And did you see this video about the uh, middle-aged Padre dudes putting together like a like a rap kind of song. Did you see this? Uh, I think I heard it. I don't know if I saw it or not. At least so find it. seven middle-aged Padres fans did this cringeworthy rap video on how their team was going to beat the Phillies in the playoffs. Take a listen. Philly going down to yellow and brown. That's what's in. Padres on the loose. Let's go, Goose. That's what's in. Bryce gonna lose, and Manny's gonna cruise. That's what's in. This is awful. Give Philly no slack and send them back. That's what's in. (laughs) 
just retweeted it at Hammer Nigel on Twitter. It is so cringeworthy. It's everybody's drunk is, dad at a wedding. It really is. It's all a bunch <laughs> of these middle-aged dudes holding up the Padres flag. And, uh, I mean, there's like six of them. Play, just play it a little bit more. You don't have to play the whole thing. Billy going down Billy to going yellow down. and brown. That's what's in. <laughs> Padres on the loose. Let's go, goose. You know what that <laughs> reminds me of? Right, I've had enough. Did you ever see that Cheers episode where... Uh, Sam Mayday Malone gets to be the sports anchor and he starts rapping. No. A groin injury. <laughs> That's what that no. sounds like 100%. So think about what you just heard. Is that better, worse, or the same as the 1986 Los Angeles Rams and their big video called Ram It? The guys call me dick instead of dick the son. I lead the rings on the Rams top gun. They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be. Even sweetness and the others are talking about me. I like to dance and have a lot of fun. When it comes to ladies, what a brainy one. But enough about me, we hit a ram it, you see. If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night. Ram it. Uh, I definitely like ram it better. And in the video, you see like Eric Dickerson wearing these tight football pants and his pelvic thrusting saying ram it. <laughs> And just from a pure production quality standpoint, too, yes. much better than the 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 six white Padres fans <laughs> rapping. I like Ram it much better. I think I saw Matt Baird dancing and thrusting in the back of <laughs> the uh, does. traffic department. That's his favorite song. Uh, we got some midterm stuff coming up next. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. Hammer and Nigel. You believe these characters are weirdos? On ninety three WIBC. So let's rock. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. Let's not waste any time. Let's get into some midterm stuff. Polling. Debates. Fetterman. The Eagles are so much better than the Eagles. <laughs> midterm stuff. Fetter woman. We'll get to Fetterman here in just a moment. Because today was one of those rare occasions where when the meeting of the minds come together, only good things can happen. We'll get to that. All right. But I thought this was interesting, and this involves something from Indiana. So the Congressional Black Caucus in Washington is clearly picking party over race because they are throwing their support behind Indiana Democrat Frank Mervin. Now, this is the guy that had his goons dig up some dirt on the— Republican candidate, a veteran, an African-American woman, Jennifer Ruth Green, yeah, yeah, yeah. had people like Adam Wren post stories about her on Politico where they outed her as a victim of sexual assault. Just a total scumbag, dirtbag move, yeah. not only from the guy that did it, Mervin, but for Wren, too. But it's par for the course. But keep in mind, Frank Mervin is a white dude, and Jennifer Ruth Green is a black woman. And, and would be the only black Republican in the in the U.S. House of Representatives if elected. And the Congressional Black Caucus <laughs> is throwing their support behind Whitey. I mean, you have to understand. <laughs> See, the CBC, it's, they bill themselves as a nonpartisan organization hammer. They use. They claim they use their resources to ensure that Black Americans quote have the opportunity to achieve the American dream. 
yet they're supporting a white Democrat. I'm assuming the R next to Green's name disqualifies her from any support from the CBC. Correct. Is that right? This is not the first time it's happened, by the way. There's a guy, I think his name is a black Republican, uh, Byron Donalds from Florida. Um, he wasn't allowed to join the caucus last year because of the R next to his name. And he's an African-American. Just call it the Democratic Black Caucus. Okay, that's yeah. really what it is. Sure. Uh, and again, this guy, the incumbent, uh, Marvin, what a snake in the grass. What they did to this woman trying to dig up dirt and then having that little weenie, the self-admitted pencil neck, Adam Wren, uh, basically run this story where they out her history of sexual assault. That's gross. You covered this extensively when I was gone. Yes, Yes, this and, was a big deal, and rightfully so. Uh, this is one of the key races um, happening congressionally. It's a toss-up right now, which is interesting because this is kind of a Democratic district. So we'll keep an eye on that She's story. out fundraising her Democratic opponent, by the way. And I think there's a lot of people that were just rubbed the wrong way by the bullcrap stunt that they pulled on her. All right, let's get to Fetterman, because today— Uncle Fester had <laughs> Joe Biden campaign with him today. So let that sink in for a minute. You had on the same stage a meeting of the minds so rare that I'm not even sure we can comprehend it. I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. Send me to Washington D.C. <laughs> Get ready, pal. You're going to enter a problem. The Eagles are so much better than the Eagles. True international depression. Are you committed to showing up on October 25th to debate your opponent no matter what happens? No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not concerned. Uh, I believe that's another opportunity to be transparent. Well, the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you... Uh, um, like to be able to. <laughs> anyway, it's so cringy. So they were together in Philadelphia today, <laughs> and again, Biden doesn't go out on the road for just everybody. Well, by the way, not everybody likes Joe Biden coming out on the road campaigning for them. Right. Right. I mean, Fetterman's running against Oz for that Senate seat. There's been a history. I mean, there's been lots of Democratic uh, senators and people running for office this year that don't want anything to do with Biden. Stacey Abrams down in Georgia, uh, just an example. So if you're Joe Biden, you have the opportunity to go campaign for somebody where you're going to be the best speaker. I think you do that every <laughs> single time. And let this sink in for yeah. just a moment. At this event today, and at some event that was about infrastructure and a bridge or something, Fetterman didn't speak. So you have Joe Biden coming down and speaking, and Uncle Fester just sits there so like a goon a and doesn't say a word. Wait a minute. So this is the bridge that collapsed like a week before, like a couple days before Joe Biden was supposed to go speak there. And it's gotten it's, – it's rebuilt, and this is a big momentous occasion – Joe Biden's there to, you know, not only to recognize the significance of this bridge being built, but also to campaign for Fetterman. And Fetterman doesn't say anything. Correct. He just sat there. He just got the, the clean bill of health from his doctor. 
that also happens to donate to his campaign. <laughs> he was did there... not say a word. There was a reporter that yelled out and asked him about the bridge, and Fetterman's wife jumped in, we're not doing interviews today. Like, I didn't think it was possible for anybody to be less likable than Fetterman, but Mrs. Fetterman is stepping up to the plate pretty quickly here. Um, but we did get this. When Joe Biden arrived at the airport, Fetterman was there. He was in a suit, actually, not a hoodie. They got into the motorcade, and somebody recorded their conversation. You're you're at Quitsies. Any Quitsies. You're at Quitsies. No, any Quitsies, no Startsies. You can't do that. Can't do. Cannot. Stamp it. Can't do. Double stamp it. No erases. <laughs> cannot. Triple stamp it. No erases. Toast no, blue make it no, through. No. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. Can't triple stamp a double stamp. You guys! Enough! That was the uh, ride from the airport to the bridge. Again, let this just... I can't say this enough. Understand what happened here. Fetterman did not want to speak... Because he was afraid he would say something embarrassing, so they let Joe Biden speak the entire time. <laughs> and then Biden couldn't find his way off the stage. Oh, uh, yeah. It was another one of those things where he's looking for somebody to shake hands with. Just got, <laughs> kind of got confused. Go this way. No, go this way. No, uh, Mr. Uh, President over here, this way. Oh, just such a mess. Um, meanwhile... This should give you a little bit of an indication of what to expect with the midterms. I'm going to play you a soundbite here. All right. This is not from Fox. This is not from, you know, Newsmax or anything like that. This is NBC's pollster. And we've talked so much all year about the economy and inflation being important issues. How about this? This is a New York Times poll, brand new here, asking voters, what's the top issue on your mind this election? I haven't seen it this dramatic in a poll. Add the economy and inflation together. That is 44 percent. We're getting close to half of all respondents in this poll saying that's their top issue. Nothing else even cracks 10 percent right now. And we've talked about the Republicans when it comes to the economy and inflation having a pretty clear advantage in the poll. So it's an NBC poll, basically, and let's be honest, they skew very Democratic, and even they are now admitting that, yeah, it's the economy wait, and nothing wait, wait. else. I'm, con I'm confused. I didn't hear anything about Roe v. Wade. <laughs> <laughs> Was there more to the clip that I'm missing here? Or, nope, you know? nope. I didn't hear January 6th in there yeah, either. I was going to say, it's missing January 6th, Roe v. Wade. Well, it turns mm. out that the economy is the biggest issue, Nige. Shocker. With that being said, maybe the Senate candidate from North Carolina might want to rethink her strategy. North Carolina Democratic Senate candidate Sherry Beasley says it's deeply troubling and very dangerous that irreversible sex reassignment surgery and puberty blockers for kids are not paid for by taxpayers. <laughs> we know Republicans, uh, of course, here in North Carolina, continue to launch attacks against trans people, including limiting the ability of trans youth to have gender-affirming surgeries. There's just something deeply troubling about that. You went, you took that, I didn't know where you were going with that. I thought you were going to say a Democrat, you know, it's troubling and very dangerous that irreversible sex reassignment surgeries and puberty blockers for kids. Like, I thought she was coming out against that stuff. Oh, and no. You, <laughs> you, you hit me with, are not paid for by taxpayers' money. She's upset that taxpayers are not paying for it. <laughs> That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Amber and Nigel presents... Is... It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this 
anything. Oh, yeah, Hammer. How do we play Is This Anything? Every once in a while, some quirky stories find their way to my desk, and I'm not real sure what to do with these stories. This is where I go to you, Nigel. Right. You tell me, you tell us, are these stories anything or not? Is this anything? A woman hiking alone in a state park in Texas was filming a small herd of bison when one of them suddenly charged yeah. and gored her. There you go. Keep going. I don't want to deal with them. I just want to go by the... Come on. Keep going. I just want to Wait get Wait for okay. it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Didn't want to go through the bushes again. Uh-oh. No, no. Oh. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Dude, it's scary. I just uh, I just retweeted it uh, at Hammer and Nigel, and uh, she's literally like, yeah, she's hiking. It's kind of like an open desert. There's some mountains in the background. There's three bison that are crossing her pathway. She's not that close to them, but she's still kind of making her way towards them as they're crossing over to the other side, and she's about equidistant to them. Like, she's almost past them when the other guy, you can hear him growl. Can you play that again? Oh, no. Oh, it feels like we've had a lot of bison stories this year. Well, those types of animals, whether it be a bison or a moose, my neighbors just got back from Colorado Springs, uh, Laura and Drew, and they were uh, they were hiking. I think they're in their car, and a moose came like r- right up to them or right by their car. And those things, like with the big antlers and everything, right? Those things will f you up. The moose is loose. If, you, <laughs> if you're not careful, man. Uh, so you could go on at Hammer and Nigel and check this out because the lady thought that she was in the clear. She's literally hiking. These three bison are passing. They're walking across. And then she thinks it's safe to kind of move along. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, beep. Yeah, but she's okay. She did go to the hospital. Uh, Just be careful when you're out there with that kind of thing, man. This scare me to death. I mean, have you ever come across a moose? That that was the sound of like, that's when he hit the switch to go into beast mode (laughs) right there. Do it again. Do it again. I mean, that sounds like a freaking lion. Right. Oh, I don't want to be yeah. around a lion uh, or a moose or a bison. None of that kind of crap. I don't even like it when I see a stupid raccoon in my driveway. Ted's, ah. Ted's Montana Grill, though. Best bison burger I've ever had, man. Or at Trader's Point. You ever oh, had bison yeah. burger, man? They've got a, a Ted's Montana down by, like, um, the outlet mall, too, in Edinburgh, I believe. Edinburgh? <laughs> yeah, the bison burger's really good. Is this anything? Yes. Police in New Jersey are looking for a man wearing a shirt that reads, Cheers to poor decisions. <laughs> he was filming a woman in a Marshall's restroom. Jeez. Oh, Here is the uh, police lieutenant breaking down the incident, plus a shopper talking about how she feels about what happened. The victim noticed that he was recording her underneath the bathroom stall. She then recorded him. He left the store, changed his appearance, and came back into the store. It's a little unsettling since I wasn't aware of it, and I have a daughter, and I'm not really sure what kind of security they can put in restrooms. Yeah, it's something. What I mean, what is it with these perverts filming chicks, you know, sitting down taking a leak, you know, or even worse, 
Right. What, the guy's shirt, by, by the way, poor. He said, cheers to poor decisions. P O U R. So it's a reference to, I don't know, maybe drinking beer or something like that. I, I don't know what it is with these perverts and their fetishes, but they all. <laughs> One of the things, maybe they could prevent him, make it illegal that for him to ever have like a uh, anything more than a flip phone. You know what I mean? Like, it, like, like I the don't, old Andrew I don't, Luck flip phone. Yeah, I don't get, I don't get the the attraction to watching somebody take a whiz. You know who needs to weigh in on this? Judge Janine. Pervert. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, especially the ones you've heard it happening at gas stations or truck stops before. <sighs> You might as well just do it's, it's, card I day. Mean, it's one thing, you know, if you've got a hidden camera oh. in uh, a Victoria's Secret dressing room. Okay, uh, that's still illegal, and you're saying no, it's not okay. It's not okay, but it's but it, but but at a at a at a pilot truck stop in Greensburg, large Marge <laughs> waddling in there to sit down to get rid of about eight pounds of jerky that she ate at the Bucky's the last time she rolled through. Oh, bugles and jerky. Oh. This is some great road foods. Last one. Is this anything? Oh. Uh, we had a story not that long ago about rapper Post Malone, who was on stage. He fell like in like a trap door almost yeah. injured his ribs yeah he had to go off stage for a few minutes well he did it again uh here he is telling the crowd on tuesday night in atlanta that he rolled his ankle in a stage hole uh it what? doesn't seem he'll postpone any shows at this time but take a listen tell you what there's little holes in the middle of the stage where fire comes out of i just twisted up my ankle a little bit over on that so if my dance moves aren't 100%, you got to forgive me tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to do my best. That anything? Uh, yeah, that's something. I mean, those guys got to be careful. They got to know where they're walking when they, they're they on stage. It happens all the time. It happened to Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters over, uh, uh, where was that, Denmark, Sweden? I don't know where, where, where that happened, where he literally fell like 10 feet and busted his ankle, and a doctor had to sit there and hold it in place. Miles Turner got show. injured in pregame warm-ups yeah, yesterday. Yeah, what happened? You went to the Pacer game last night. And the, Miles Turner couldn't even – he was set to start. Yes. Right? He was going to start Until at center. The 5 o'clock shoot-around, he <laughs> stepped on the foot of the ball boy, and now he's oh out for God. a week. <laughs> that just tells you right now how the season's going to go. I'm just telling you. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here with a couple of very special guests in the studio. We are joined in studio by Rick Snyder. He's the president of the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge 86. Hey, Rick. And yeah. Jeff Blackwell. Uh, Jeff uh, lost his daughter in the FedEx shooting, Samaria. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for being here today. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Jeff, first of all, before we do anything else, tell me about your daughter. My daughter, Samaria, was 19 years old, uh, an athlete, a wonderful personality. She was outgoing and was concerned for others around her. The reality is her name, Samaria, comes from the Bible story of the Good Samaritan. Mm. So she actually lived out or became what her name represented. She was really that, a Good Samaritan doesn't matter your economic or social background or anything else she was your friend and she had a great laugh and 
she was a pretty good athlete. She was. And again, being how I'm a South Sider, and it feels like everybody on the South Side knows everybody indirectly. It feels like everybody that I've spoken with uh, either says she was an amazing athlete or what an amazing family. We've got such an amazing amount of mutual friends that we didn't even know about until we started, you know, corresponding about coming on the show here. And everybody to a T said, what an amazing family and what an amazing young lady. That would all have to be because of their mother. (laughs) Jeff, how's your how is your family doing after such a tragic and and traumatic situation? The reality is there are good and bad days. Uh, We're believers. We fall into our faith. And that's what's carried us through at this point. And that's what continues to carry us through. Jesus Christ has just been the way that's gone there. Again, there are good days and bad days. I mean, just literally just uh, some days you don't want to get out of bed, but you just put one foot in front of the other and keep going on. Does talking about it, is it almost therapeutic to talk about it or does it cause more pain? I have to be honest that the ability to talk about it is therapeutic. Um, the ability to tell the story, to say these are the things that happened, to share my daughter. Because one of these strange things about grief is that she's gone. All we have at this point are pictures. We're not going to have any more new pictures of my daughter. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and you think, is anybody going to remember her name or what she was about or anything like that? So the ability to share her story, who she was and what an amazing person she was, is is just very helpful. She wanted to be a police officer. That was the entire mm-hmm. thing. She's working two jobs. Um, she worked at night, thus the FedEx. She would come home as a lifeguard, pick up my car, because she didn't have one at the time, go to FedEx, and then come home. Jeff, what is your military background? How has that has that been? You're in the military. Correct? I spent nine years in the military. Yes, sir. What service? What branch? Uh, Army. I was a field artillery. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for your service. I'm wondering if if you know she got your your late daughter got any inspiration from you and 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 following in your footsteps in terms of service to. Um, you know, your fellow human beings, you know, the military, the police force, things like that. Well, my youngest son is a Marine, so oh. there's an argument in the house of which service is better. <laughs> okay. So Samaria was following after her brother, much to my chagrins, and was going to head to the Marines to basically start her, uh, try to be an MP, so that when she got mm-hmm. out, she could then transfer that into, again, she wanted to serve in law enforcement because she wanted to help people. Again, right back with her name, the Good Samaritan. Uh, Jeff Blackwell is our guest. Uh, Jeff is the father of Samaria Blackwell, who lost her life in the FedEx shooting. I've said for a long time, Jeff, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be mad when things like this happen. How often do you find yourself getting angry? I would say initially the the anger is really directed at the why question and how could this happen? Um, I'm going to say something. I won the lottery for a lottery nobody wants to win Mm. um and i'm not alone i'm here not because of just me i'm here because there were seven other families that lost someone eight with brandon's family itself and then that doesn't count the people that were hurt they each have individual stories and everything else we're unique in the fact that we're we made international news But at the same time, there's a single mother and a grandmother in our city that's lost a child, 
and no one tells their story. No one has this. They don't have the opportunity that I have to sit here in front of this microphone and talk to you guys. That's a tragedy. Who who are you talking about? The other the. I'm the talking sh- about our city. Yeah. That our country. There are single moms. There are dads. They lose kids yes. just like this. Yes. I sit here as one of seven. Okay as a representative again we got international coverage and all this but there are so many families that suffer in silence and don't have an outlet to tell that story or someone to take up their cause is that one of the reasons why you're here today it is actually yes now you have been i think the most outspoken of all the family members of the victims do you feel any added pressure or any burden feeling like you're the voice of all these families no because the reality is it's eight families that lost loved ones and you've seen uh, they've spoke at various times i'm not a representative for the co-op if you will at that point i am just telling my story they will tell their stories in their times if they desire to do so but we know that we have more power as a group Now, let's get into the story because it's a story that did not have to happen. Nigel and I have said this time and time again. The red flag laws in Indianapolis were not followed properly. This is something Rick can weigh in on. Um, We've talked about this on the show before. Do you feel like the elected officials in Indianapolis let you down? Yes. Do you feel that your daughter would still be alive today if the prosecutor in Marion County had followed through with the red flag law? I cannot determine that, but what I can say is if he had done that, there was a chance that all those people would be alive. Now, Rick, let me go over to you real quick. For those who might not be familiar with what we're talking about here, briefly explain the red flag law and ultimately what happened with the FedEx shooting. Well, the red flag law was placed into effect in 2005 after Officer Jake Laird was killed in line of duty on the south side of Indianapolis. It's actually named after him, the Jake Laird red flag law. And it was to authorize law enforcement officers in the immediacy of the moment, if they identify that someone is a threat to themselves or to others, to be able to seize those weapons and hold them to intervene and hopefully prevent something like this from occurring. But it also prescribes for due process, immediate due process for the person involved uh, so that there is a balance between constitutional rights of folks as well as due process and legal review of the actions by the officers. But the key component is, is that uh, uh, prior to this incident at the FedEx, the prosecutor had to initiate that filing with the court. It had to go through the prosecutor, this prosecutor. And the point that we made is, uh, it wasn't that the law did not. The, it wasn't that the law failed. It was that the prosecutor failed to give the law a chance to work, and that's the key component. And I think what I heard from Jeff there is is a salient point, which is we'll never know because he never tried. What we do know is that if he had tried, there was a there was a chance that it could have been interrupted. The certainty is that he didn't, and because of that, there was nothing that prevented uh, this suspect from uh, purchasing or obtaining. A additional weapons and that's the thing that frustrates so many people it's not because it was just a bad decision people make mistakes people make bad decisions 
it was a lazy, half-assed effort from somebody who just views, in my opinion, these are my words only, that views the prosecutor's office as a stepping stone for him to try to run for the mayor's office. Well, and I would I would say this, and we could talk about it, you know, after the hour. I don't want to take away from Jeff's time, but I think it's a key point for the point of the discussion, which your point, it wasn't a lazy point. He himself, in his own words, made clear he intentionally did not file it. That's where uh, our officers have very strong reservations. Jeff, can we get back to something you've you've mentioned it a couple times when we were talking about the number of the families that were affected? You say there were eight families affected, um, and I'm assuming one of the families you're talking about is the shooter. I heard you mention his that name. That is correct. She and, did a story, and she talked about you know her side of the story. And she said only one family reached out to her. That was my mom that called her and spoke with mm. her. How did that conversation go? <sighs> well, that's my mom, but she's my mom is also a believer, and there was a conversation about Christ and His grace mm. involved in all that. That's that's that's. That's just that's unbelievable to me because I, I I'm only projecting here, but I would have so much anger um, that I don't know that if I would be able to include the the family of the person that took my my daughter's life in in my list of people who I have sympathy for. Jeff, Rick, I'm going to take a little break here. Uh, we're going to come back. I want to get into. Unfortunately, the political nature of what happened in the FedEx shooting, because I do think there is a story to that. And for our friends listening. At the Indy Star, yes, Rick will address what happened with the IMPD officer yesterday, because I know that's all you care about. So stick around. Do not go anywhere. We're going to take a little break. More when we come back. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show uh, in studio with FOP President Rick Snyder and Jeff Blackwell. Uh, Jeff's daughter, Samaria, was a victim in the FedEx shooting. You, Jeff, and your lovely better half appear in a commercial. For Cindy Carrasco. She is running for prosecutor here in Marion County. Why did you guys decide to do that? It was goes back to where the previous conversation ended. We were aware that there was a major malfunction, that something is wrong. Let me kind of explain my side of the story. I had the president acknowledge it and come to us. We had the governor Let's just go. Say, we've had the state, everybody on through, but one person hasn't basically acknowledged this. Now, why I say that is after the investigation period was done of the initial thing that happened, we were called together, all the victims' families, to a substation on the west side, at which point in time, every law enforcement agency under the sun, including the local deputy, if you will, was there. And they presented all this, the U.S. District Attorney, the FBI, the the World Police Organization. It was crazy how many people were there. As the things were presented, there's something that became very evident because everything kept circling back to this question of, why was nothing ever done about this first encounter with the police and the red flag law? Guess who was not in attendance there? I don't even have to say his name. So this really set us off. At which point in time, Chief Taylor texted him, everything else, he was supposed to have a sit down with all the families at once. The prosecutor, the that current is prosecutor. Correct. That has never happened. Mm -hmm. Now, we pursued this for months 
and there was an exchange of emails, everything else. The initial email came through condolences, blah, blah, blah. We're going to meet with you uh, is like, great. But the way the email was written, I questioned, wait a second. So we ask it, are you meeting with us? Are you meeting with all the families or how is this happening? Well, it was only meeting with our family because I don't know how everyone else was pursuing it. And it was with his staff. Do you feel like the prosecutor brushed you off? I don't think there's much of an open door policy there. Understood. So is there any concern that by appearing in a commercial with Cindy Carrasco, people are going to say you are politicizing the tragedy that took place in your family? If you don't hear what I'm saying, then I can't help you. Mm -hmm. This city is on fire and... It's been revealed to me that part of this city, through my political involvement, I am not a political creature, all right? So I've done something I never thought I would do. I knocked on doors. I've done other stuff, all in support of this candidate because it's time for a change. But people are telling me there's not a problem and the city, all you have to do, like I just commented earlier, this morning was the first morning I woke up in almost two weeks, and my news feed didn't say 17 shot, one dead overnight. Something similar to that, right? Right. And so, that's so the narrative has been that it's this. No, this is a safe place. This is there's nothing to see here. There's there's no reason why Starbucks should be closing on Monument Circle. Forgive me, but. The reason we do this is so that someone else does not have to go through that. Yes. And those that are in a position of denial, I pray to the Lord that you never have to sit on my side of the table and go through what we went through because it's a real thing. And it's not just us. Again, I talk about all those out there that aren't having their story told. Mm -hmm. Who's speaking up for them? Jeff, thank you so much for coming in. Yes. God bless you your family, your friends. I know this isn't easy for you, um, but uh, again, it means a great deal to a lot of people that you had the courage to come in here, talk about this, name names, give examples of exactly what happened to you. That's an amazing thing, my friend, and I appreciate that. Thanks, Thank Jeff. you. Rick, we got a lot of stuff to get to with you coming up a little bit after five o'clock. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it! My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here, also joining us live in studio. Uh, Rick Snyder is the president of FOP Lodge 86 here in Indy. Also, Jeff Blackwell is joining us in studio. His daughter tragically was killed in the FedEx shooting. His daughter's name is Samaria. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for coming in studio, telling us uh, your story about your daughter. And I do uh, want to talk about your involvement with the Cindy Carrasco campaign. She's the GOP candidate running for prosecutor against Ryan Mears. Can you tell us a little bit more about your relationship with uh, Cindy? Um, yes. C we wanted to do something we wanted our voice to be heard and we kind of waited for the announcement of was somebody really going to run against this guy and then it was announced and we just kind of held back for a while but we knew we wanted to meet her because we wanted to look her in the eye and have a conversation we weren't just going to say hey this is who we are this is we'll do whatever so we sat down and she's a mother. 
she's a real person. It cuts through. If you if somebody gets in front of Cindy, it doesn't take five minutes to know she's not a politician. She's just a real mom at that point. And her real concern is that for her daughter's safety and the safety of her city. Mm-hmm. My wife fell in love with her in short per se. And because I'm not a stupid man, I followed my wife's lead. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Well done. Um, and for somebody that's just now turning on the radio, maybe you just got off of work. Um, Jeff told us earlier that this story that was national news, this FedEx shooting, everybody, it seemed like from the state of Indiana and even national levels had reached out to family members, offered condolences, went out of their way to show some level of support of some kind, except for the guy that's currently the prosecutor in Marion County. Do I have this accurate? You have that accurate, and it's even more important. The one guy that didn't reach out was the only guy in all those other people that had any chance in any way to affect the outcome that that would have never happened. Think about that for a moment. So when you see city leaders, Jeff, having a celebration, like about a month or maybe it's even two months ago, they had a little celebration here in the city. Some of these civic leaders celebrating that the crime numbers were trending down in the city. What went through your mind? Uh, a perfect bowling game of 300. You roll that, that's a big celebration. A 299 is not a 300, but that's a great bowling game. But both of those scores are absolutely horrible scores for the death total in the county. Mm. And that's what they're celebrating. They'll, well, we didn't get 300. Yeah, you're not supposed to set a record every year. And we say this over and over again. It sounds like a broken record, but I think it bears repeating here. 200 homicides in Marion County cannot be the norm. Rick, you can weigh in on this. Hey, listen, we had a goal before many years ago of keeping it under 100, and we were able to do so. So what changed? What changed were the decision makers and the fundamental missteps that were taken by buying into this woke, broke criminal justice and bail reform crap. That's what changed. Coincidentally, it took effect in January of 2020. And what have we seen then? Coincidentally, we've had the three highest years for homicides in the city of Indianapolis. That's not a coincidence, my friend. That's a pattern. That's evidence in my line of work. And here's what we know is that we're on track to have the third consecutive year of over 200 homicides in this city. And... Uh, People are acting like they want to deny that crime is even occurring. We've got crime deniers going on now, trying to downplay the fact of what people are seeing, as as Jeff shared, waking up in the morning and seeing all this violence that occurred over the night. And we have people in the media, in political office, and also just in the g- general public trying to be advocates and propagandists for politicians in charge, trying to convince us that it's not as what we are seeing and experiencing. And uh, we're saying enough is enough on that. We're going to call it out for what it is. Our city is in a public safety crisis. Uh, Many of these acts of violence are preventable, but it requires accountability for repeat violent offenders, and we're not going to waver from that. And it's just got to, it's just got to, there's something in me that triggers, like, if if what happened to my family ever, you know, the same thing happened to Jeff. I mean, knowing that there's a mechanism that was in place that could have been prevented, that they they could have used it, they could have done something to prevent what happened at the FedEx is really I, I know you're a man of faith, and I know you're a man of forgiveness, Jeff. I, I'm, I can only tell you what I would do in that situation. It would not be here speaking uh, as as eloquently as you do about um, you know using your platform for uh, for good. 
can yeah, I, I say this? I do not hate Mr. Mears. That's not the issue at all. The problem is he's so poor at his job. So what I'm trying to do is stand up for Cindy and cross political parties. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. I don't care if you're independent. What I'm asking you to do is make one vote, and that's the vote not to let this individual continue on in this path. And again, I think this is important to point out. You are not me. You're not a political animal. You don't live and breathe politics. Um, you are just a dad that is reaching out to people right now saying you have a choice to make things better. This should not be a political deal. It's about crime. It's about safety. You have the choice. You don't have to just always check that blue box when you go to vote. Yeah, it's it's just that. It's a matter of this affects everyone at all levels. So if you're an issue voter and you're stuck on an issue, I'm sorry, whatever that issue is, doesn't matter if you don't come home or make mm. it to work mm. because you've been killed or your kid has been killed or your husband has been killed. That's the fallacy with that issue voting at this point. We are in a safety crisis in our city, public safety, but we're not safe. But we wanna pretend and stick our heads in the sand as if we are, and that's not the case. Rick, I wanna come over to you for something a little different here because the big story yesterday was there was an officer with the IMPD uh, that was ultimately charged and I believe convicted of stomping like a homeless guy. Indicted. indicted, I'm sorry, not convicted, indicted of stomping like a homeless guy out on the circle. And I wanna get your thoughts and your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you got an officer it's already been charged at the local level. The federal indictment is uh, something that backs that up. It really, uh, essentially what the federal government is saying is they're going to have a hand in monitoring what goes on at the local level with the with the criminal case, the due process. I think the focus for anybody is to ensure that there's fair, firm, and consistent review of what occurred, uh, a review through the court system and uh, due process that's available to this officer and uh, allowing that system to work. So uh, the indictment has been made. There's really no new evidence, no new additional information or anything such as that. And uh, now it's just a focus on the process and allowing that to occur. And man, it seems like whenever something happens like this, and there's a story about an officer, like the trolls come out on social media. There's this one guy that tweets at us all the time. It feels like 80% of the things he tweets are targeted at you, Rick. And he wanted me to ask you this question. So I'm going sure. to go ahead and just ask it to you. Ask Rick Snyder if he can comment on if he's satisfied with an IMPD homicide arrest rate of 51% and why he's remained silent on police violence or law enforcement officers ignoring pleas and reducing access to firearms. This was a tweet that came in to us from the Hammer and Nigel account. Yeah, sure. No, I appreciate it. Here's the fact. No, we're not satisfied with the 51% conviction or uh, conviction rate or clearance rate on homicides. I don't know if that's still the current number or not, but here's what I do know, and here's the rest of the story. Uh, typically, uh, most major city agencies especially are shooting for a 60% or higher clearance rate if it's possible, but what greatly dilutes the ability to do that is a broken criminal justice system that has a revolving door. So what happens is you lose legitimacy with the 
the community for those officers and detectives, for residents and victims and witnesses to be able to trust not the officers and the detectives, but to be able to trust the system that accountability will occur for that offender if they talk, because this is what happens. Folks uh, may step out in in confidence and talk to the officers and they see an arrest made. But then when they see that violent offender, that perpetrator come right back into the neighborhood you're not going to talk anymore no. because you fear retribution and you snitches also get stitches and you also blame not just the system, but the most visible representation of government, which is the law enforcement officers and detectives. So it's a cyclical thing. So that's what contributes to that. If somebody really wants to see higher conviction rates, they should be doing everything to call out this criminal justice system to say, start holding repeat violent offenders accountable and bring legitimacy, trust and confidence back into the equation. The next part is on the, um, uh, what was the, the, the very last one there? Why has he remained silent on police violence and oh, yeah. LE's yeah, yeah. ignored plea to reduce access to firearms? Well, never uh, remained silent on police issues, uh, violence uh, toward our officers or when our officers have to use violence. Also, never remained silent on issues of controversy within law enforcement use of force. Guys, you'll remember, I think I sat in here for over an hour one day straight talking about the George Floyd incident specifically and issues of uh, police uh, trust and respect, but also um, uh, holding officers accountable when they step outside the bounds of the law. Uh, when it comes to the guns, we've been very outspoken about that issue, but I'm also clear to say it's not, we cannot get bogged down or fall into the trap of only fo- focusing on the instrument instead of the individual. We have to focus on the individual and the instrument involved, especially when they have a criminal history where they should never be in association with that instrument. And the final point is, if you truly want to prevent a repeat violent offender from being able to commit a new act of violence, they're not able to do it if their ass is locked up. That's the point. Can you guys come back for just one more segment? I know I've kept you guys for like way more time than you had signed up to join us, but this is sure. too good. Can you guys come back for one more and segment? I definitely want to ask you about recruitment and retaining the talent in IMPD. I'm sure this plays a role in everything that you were just talking about. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. Hammer and Nigel Show, 93 WIBC. I'm Jason Hammer. Big Nigel is here. Hello. Uh, in studio, guests, we have Jeff Blackwell. Uh, he has Samaria's daughter. Got it right. I, I apologize if I said it incorrectly earlier. Um, Samaria, one of the victims of the FedEx shooting, and FOP President Rick Snyder. And ultimately, guys, where we come together at here is a discussion on red flag laws. The red flag law was not followed, and ultimately, uh, Jeff, your daughter, and others lost their life at that FedEx ground facility near the airport. Uh, Rick, I know you've been passionate talking about this red flag situation as well. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, let's talk about facts here. I think this is important. What is not up for the debate or any discussion anymore because it's been resolved is if Ryan Mears could have applied the red flag law. He absolutely could have. Worse yet, we found out from him in a public press conference is that he intentionally chose not to file the red flag specific to the suspect. Listen, Indy Star goes on to report, and they found that one submission of his sat for 44 days. 
44 days. You have 14 days to act. 44 days it sat. Many of them were sitting for over a month. We found through those reportings, even through the Indianapolis Star, that the police are doing their job. They were making the seizures, but he did not do his. He's refused multiple media requests to talk about it, but yet after this all came about in this tragedy uh, of these of these wonderful Hoosiers that we lost in this this absolute atrocity, uh, Mears' filing of red flags went at what the Indy Star called a quote-unquote unprecedented level. Prior to FedEx in 2021, he had only filed eight of the submissions submitted to him by the police. Within three days he, after FedEx, he filed four more, and within two weeks after FedEx, he filed 22 of those filings. Now, again, the red flag law... It wasn't an issue of it did not it did not fail he failed to give it a chance to work so here's the point the court stepped in in an unprecedented move and stripped him from the process they removed him from that showing that they had no confidence in him we had a united states senator dick durbin a leading gun control advocate known for being pretty liberal progressive not conservative who clearly stated in a quote he said had the red flag law been applied he believed that those eight lives uh, those eight folks would stay still be alive today that's dick durbin right. saying that that's not ted cruz that's not that's Rand right. paul that's dick durbin of illinois expressing no confidence in the prosecutor and the decision that he made since 2005 guys the red flag law has been applied over 800 times in the state of indiana over half of those over 400 times in marion county that means that prior prosecutors had no issues no troubles no challenges in getting them the, getting them filed so the question is why didn't ryan mears try and why won't he meet with the family? And why won't Families. he answer? And why won't he answer the questions of the police, the public questions that we have asked him? More importantly, why should we trust Ryan Mears? Because here's what we're seeing: he he said that the law needed to be changed. The law was deficient in some manner. That was in April of 2021. Guess what, guys? He never went over to the State House and Summer Study Committee. He never went over there in this last legislative session and made any attempt to make any change to the state red flag law. What's that tell you? That tells you he's a fraud. He's fake. That was a false statement about the law named after Officer Jake Laird, done by Debbie and Mike Laird as his parents. So he owes everyone an apology. He owes these families an apology. And he should not be in that office. If for no other reason, FedEx should be the one reason why he should not be here. You've but directly asked him to his face. He turns around and walks away. Not only on FedEx, but it goes further back to Officer Tommy Mangan. Another yes. example where we see he made an intentional decision to withhold information from the court, not tell them that this suspect was a parole violator, and he went on to shoot our officer in the throat. And when we tried to ask him questions about it, you saw it. He ran away. He ran away from us and still, to this day, has not answered any questions. So here's the point. His positions have so many holes in them that he can't even carry his own water. So it begs this question, whose water is he carrying, guys? Because here's the point. You see, we're not questioning his character. We're not. His performance is what we're highlighting, but his lack of transparency, the fact that he runs away, the failures to act and speak uh, uh, to our questions. The lack it, of compassion to the families. It, that's what really drove me to a breaking point when Jeff was talking earlier. That speaks more to his character than anything that we could say. So 
He's not representing the interests of the residents and business owners in this city. As we've clearly seen, he's not representing the interests of the families of our victims. He damn sure isn't representing the interests of our officers. And there's no way in hell he's representing the interests of the state of Indiana. So who is Ryan Mears? Whose interests and agendas is he representing? That's my question. And and the only way you're going to get an answer to that is go ask Ryan Mears. But you know he'll never answer the questions. So here today on this show, I'm making this, this public uh, statement and challenge, if you will. Ryan Mears, come here to Hammer and Nigel. Sit live on air before this election so that voters can make good informed decisions and answer some of these questions. Sit with me and allow me to answer questions. You ask questions of me, and I'll answer them. And we'll get the facts out here on the table and let voters make a good, informed decision about who's going to be the chief law enforcement officer for this county. But your rank-and-file officers, not just IMPD, Beach Grove, Speedway, Lawrence, Cumberland, Indiana State Police, and others, have unanimously agreed that they have no confidence in Ryan Mears and further have endorsed Cindy Carrasco for prosecutor. So if cops are for, pro- are, are for Carrasco... And they say they have no confidence in the current prosecutor, Ryan Mears. Here's my question. Why should you? Ryan Mears and Joe Hogsett have an open invitation anytime they want to come on our program. We've made that perfectly clear. Gentlemen, this has been an amazing hour. It's been a powerful hour. Um, and, Jeff, let me just say this. I think what you're going to see is the best listeners in radio, the Hammer and Nigel Show listeners. Um, they are such a compassionate and amazing group. You're going to get messages from people that you don't know. You're going to hear from people that you did not know existed. But understand, there's a lot of people that were hanging on your every word today, and they're rooting for you, and they're praying for you. And I just want to say thank you for coming in here and having the courage you, to Jeff. speak about this. Thank you. Thanks for giving me your time. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. And now, Hammer and Nigel go off the rails with Rob Kendall on 93 WIBC. Kendall from the Kendall and Casey Show. Here to go off the rails. Rob, how are you? Great. Thanks as always to the segment sponsor, Garage Doors of Indianapolis. You had an interesting breakdown today on the show about some of the polling that's been going around. I was curious, right off the bat here, a couple of days ago, did you see that Harvard-Harris poll that said Donald Trump and Mike Pence were the two most popular politicians in the country right now? Well, it, was Ron, it was Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis and Mike Pence were the two most Ron popular. Uh, yes. And uh, people like Mike Pence because they don't know him, but Ron DeSantis I can totally see why he would be the most popular politician in the world because he is doing a great job. People like politicians who follow through on what they say, and Ron DeSantis does not bend a knee to the woke, angry, lunatic mob. Did you see that bridge was opened up in Florida like a couple days ahead of schedule? Had this been something that Joe Biden had been a part of, there had been a ticker-take parade somewhere. Ron DeSantis will be the Republican nominee for president. I'm going to tell you guys 
exactly how this oh, is going to play out. Uh, okay, so Ron DeSantis is going to win this governor's race by probably eight to ten points would be my guess. Charlie Chris is a terrible candidate. Ron DeSantis is a great candidate. And Ron DeSantis has, for the first time in Florida's history, given them a Republican registration advantage. He has hundreds of thousands of people uh, have flocked to the Republican Party under Ron DeSantis. He will win easily. He will then be a rock-solid, conservative, liberty-minded executive who boat race the competition in what is still considered a swing state, and everybody will finally begin to say, yeah, I think we're done with the Trump drama. Can he beat Donald Trump in a primary? If they both run, let's say both of them are in it to win it, can he beat Donald Trump in a primary? Oh, yeah, absolutely, because here's what he's going to do, and this is DeSantis is a great campaigner. He's going to coalition build because there are conservatives who will vote for him. There are liberty people who will vote for him. There are people who want to win who vote for him. And most importantly, I think very early on in this process, there is going to be the establishment base of the Republican Party who is going to say, well, we really don't like DeSantis, but he ain't Donald Trump. And I think you will see DeSantis quickly coalition build. And the contrast of how these two guys run for president, it's going to be a very easy choice for most what's people. What's the um, Democrats' knock on him? Like, what's their angle to 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 go against him? Well, what is it? Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I'm nothing. asking. There's really, well, he did the don't say gay bill. He's banning books. And, I mean, is that all they have, really? I can't think of anything. I mean, you, you know, look, 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 I I, I am I do not wish for anyone else's life. I'm grateful the Lord gave me this life, and I get to hang out with you guys. But if the Lord had said you could have been Ron DeSantis, I would have said that's an intriguing <laughs> option, right? I mean, think about the guy's life, right? Especially when you compare and contrast it with Donald Trump. The guy, let's go all the way back to his childhood. He played in the Little League World Series, for crying out loud. That's was right. a great athlete. Yeah. Was an, you know, a distinguished member of the military. Played his, college baseball. His wife was on the Golf Channel. His kids are perfect. There's Everything about this guy's life has been... It, the worst thing they found on the guy is maybe, we don't even know for sure, but maybe 25 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever it was when he was uh, like a professor he gave you know some college students a couple beers at a party who also may have been over the age of 21 that's it that's it they're gonna go after him for covid because there's always people that say death santis death santis (laughs) and that one moron lawyer that's down in florida that dresses up like the grim reaper that's gonna be the thing that they have against him but i don't think that's anything who does he or does it matter who he picks as his running mate if indeed he does put his name in the hat for president in 2024? Who would make sense? Well, I, th- I think like a Tim Scott is someone that you really look at and say that's an ultra impressive person, a person who really blocks a lot of narratives against the Republican Party and is a great articulator of the message of liberty and freedom and limited government. I I mean, I'm just pulling names out of the hat right now, but that's a guy that right off the top of the bat, you know, senator from South Carolina, really stands out as someone that you'd say that would be a great team. So where are we at with those folks who feel like they're loyal to Donald Trump? They feel like they got everything they wanted out of his presidency. Job numbers were great. The border was under control. The important things that matter were fine. We did not get into war. And they also feel like he's been done dirty. So they kind of feel like they're loyal to Donald Trump. Trump's 
loyalty will last only as long as you can compare and contrast it with someone better. And look, there will still be, you know, 15 to 20 percent of the Republican Party who will feel and it's not wrong that Trump got screwed in 2020 and we're going to send a message or they won't vote again. I've heard that before. People said, you know what? I don't like what happened to him. I hate the fact they're raiding his house now that he's not the president. All this January 6th crap. Trump he lit something inside of me, and I don't want to vote anymore. But the problem with Trump is he buckled when it mattered most. Look at how Trump handled COVID versus how DeSantis handled COVID. Yeah. Trump signed off on and actually asked for more than he even got for the $5 trillion that was the bribe by the federal government to people like Lockdown McGee here in Indiana to shut the state down. Trump encouraged shutdowns. He, he didn't around, stop he it. He kept Fauci around. Absolutely. You, you know, that is when, you, you know, it's easy to do it when things are going well, right? And Trump did some good things when things were going well. But you really see who people are when times get tough. And when times got tough, Trump's answer was throw a bunch of money at it and shut down. And DeSantis's was we're staying open. As much as I liked Trump and people liked Donald Trump, the people he surrounded himself yes. was a problem. And the fact that he didn't just clean house on day one and fire all these people became ultimately his downfall because those were the people that kept leaking every Every single thing out there. You kept these horrible people around and they ultimately stabbed you. You have to be able to coalition build. You have to be able to coalition build as a candidate and you have to be able to coalition build in governance. And Donald Trump cannot coalition build as a candidate or in governance anymore. He's too polarizing and much of the polarization is self-inflicted. We're going off the rails with Rob Kendall from the Kendall and Casey show. So Nige brought up polling to start the segment here. You had a pretty good breakdown of how polling is really working in today's political climate earlier today. Yeah, so this happens every single year, and people just, I guess, don't learn lessons. Hey, look, if, if you watch polling, looking at polling is like betting on sports, and I know you're a degenerate gambler, so maybe this hey, doesn't tonight, apply to you. tonight, 7 to 8, it's You Bet with Bet Rivers, <laughs> Indy's premier sports betting radio program, right after the Hammer and Nigel show. And there is nothing wrong with betting for fun. There's nothing wrong with betting and having a good time. You should certainly listen to Hammer. He is one of the best in the business. <laughs> but you should not be betting on trying to earn a living on on betting. That's There's a reason casinos have big, huge buildings, and you know, you're listening to us, you know, it's, it's it's just the reality of it, right? It's fun to do. It's fine. You got to have limits around it. Polling's the same way. Look at it, enjoy it, chuckle at it. But there are people who take the polling as gospel and the same stuff happens every year where Democrats get this huge lead and it's all over and Republicans might not even, might not, shouldn't even run a candidate. You're going to be so embarrassed. And then what do you know? Come 1st of October, the polls start tightening. Sometimes Republicans pull ahead. The races are almost always much closer than anticipated. Because in August, I was told that it was going to damn near be a blue wave in terms of the Senate and these governor's races. House not so much, but Senate and governor's races in August, Republicans shouldn't even go vote. Well, that's that's because polling <laughs> up until about the 1st of October is about voter manipulation. Because nobody, when, for the next two years when they report the polls, what do they report? Who got it right at the end? The poll right before. That's all they show. They don't show the poll in August or June or July. These polls, and it's done through a variety of mechanisms, are about voter manipulation. You can either believe that every single year people are just uber-liberal Bernie 
Sanders cheerleaders until October, and then they suddenly turn into Ronald Reagan, or you can believe <laughs> something is afoot here. It seems like there's been a common theme in terms of what people are concerned about with polls everywhere from the New York Times to Fox News, um, and it's it's energy, it's inflation, it's the recession, it's the economy, stupid. Do you find that same uh, sort of theme? So there's two things that go into why polling, even when they're trying to get it right, they get it wrong so much. Number one is they tend to oversample Democrats. Re- Real Clear Politics has it up right now with the Republicans winning 52 Senate seats. The Republicans wow. are not ahead in 52 Senate races. But what they've done is, and Real Clear Politics has done a good job with this, they've looked at it and said, okay, these states, these polls are oversampling the Democrats collectively by X, and when we sample them correctly, here's what we get. That's the first thing. It- now, hold on. Stop right there. Let me break this down for those who are saying, I don't understand what you're talking about. So if you do a poll of 10 people in Marion County yep. and eight of them are Republicans and you publish the results, that's not going to be indicative of what's happening in Marion County because it's not an 80% heavy Republican county. Right. They get it wrong on the sample size and the way they do the sample. So if you were to say, if you had polled seven Democrats in Marion County, you'd get a more accurate result right. or six or whatever it is. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, and in Georgia is a great example of this. Herschel Walker is going to boat race Raphael Warnock. Now, is he going to win by 10? No, but I don't think the race is nearly as close because, look, remember, we all remember Mock. Remember Mock, the woman I used to work with? Sure. Yeah. Her husband is a great example. Now, he's into politics, so maybe not the best example, but. There are a whole bunch of dudes like Mock's husband who are between the ages of 40 and 65 who it doesn't matter if Herschel Walker were on the Purple Party, the Communist Party, the Republican Party, the Libertarian Party. They remember Herschel Walker running over people and winning trophies for the university, and they are going to vote for Herschel Walker. You don't find these people. You don't sample these people correctly. They're often non-political people. It's the same reason Trump won, because you don't. it's not even malicious. You don't know how to find these people. Can you stick? around for one more break sure we are going off the rails with rob kendall come on back we'll do a little bit more it's the hammer and nigel show all right we're back my name is nigel jason hammer here rob kendall here to go off the rails uh, locally here in indiana what did you think of the senate debate uh, a couple of nights ago man well Todd to- young and the uh, the democrat and the libertarian well, to steal a line from Animal House, you're all worthless and weak. <laughs> that was, uh, I really think all three candidates, the Duke of Spendingburg, Todd Young, James Siniak, the Libertarian, and Tom McDermott, uh, the Democrat, owe me an apology for wasting an hour of my life. It was like a celebrity Jeopardy sketch from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, it, it was It was terrible. I mean, McDermott, I guess, was the winner, but I compared that to winning the AFC South, you know, the Colts, the Titans, the Texans, and the Jags. Somebody's going to win, but we all know none of them are actually winners. Yeah, it was terrible. Does that matter to you in terms of policy? You like Cineac. You're going to vote for the Libertarian, right? I mean, in terms of pure policy, that counts, doesn't it? It does, but James Cineac and Hammer said it best. It was like a Saturday Night Live skit. I mean, the guy couldn't string three words together, and I get that you're nervous and you know you're on statewide television and you've never, never done it before, but I think what was frustrating about that was there are so many Republicans, so many conservatives who are rightfully so not committed to voting for the Duke of Spendingburg, Todd Young, because of his egregious adding
thing of $11 trillion plus now to the national debt, and you had a chance to grab those people, and, you know, he was like Kirk Cousins in primetime out there. He threw up all over himself. Is that frustrating for you? Because I know you are a libertarian, and on your program, you've pointed out all the ridiculous spending that Todd Young has done. So there's a lot of people that were watching that debate that said, you know what, this is the guy that Rob Kendall's talking about. And then you watch him, and it's like Chris Farley talking to Paul McCartney. Does that tick you off? Oh, sure, because, and Hammer, we've done this now two elections in a row. We told Rainwater what to do in 2020 that would have won him hundreds of thousands of votes, which was call Holcomb Lockdown McGee during the debate. We told <laughs> Cineac what he needed to do, which is call Todd Young the Duke of Spendingburg. And what happens for these libertarians is, and the one exception to this is Jeff Moore, the Secretary of State candidate, who was perfect in his debate. He did phenomenal. He was awesome. Everybody should absolutely vote for him. He, That's the one where Diego wasn't yes, there. Yes, you right? correct. Yeah, and Jeff Moore is a is a total rock star, and he needs to get to that ten percent because it will help the libertarians long term dramatically. But all that aside, these libertarians, for the most part, go in there and they're so nervous because they think, oh my gosh. I'm the third party. No one takes me seriously already. I've got to be super serious and professional. Or No! Those votes are there to be had. Nobody who is not voting for Todd Young, who is a conservative, cares at all about how professional you are. They want to hear you call that dude what he is. He's a gaslighting fraud. They're trying to be too perfect of politicians, and you're not going to out Todd Young, Todd Young. Todd Young is a disingenuous, colossal, pathological liar and a failure. And I'm not just saying that because he was very mean to me, along with his <laughs> evil assistant Igor at the Stax Pancake House. That's fine. That comes with the territory. But he lies. He goes, comes out there and goes, oh, the Biden administration is really, the spending is out of control and inflation is just destroying society. What do you think the $11 trillion that you added to the national debt had to do with that? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Finally, before we let you go, what happens in the Marion County prosecutor's race? Boy, I, you know, I, Mears is so bad for this city. And gosh darn it, I'd love to see him be beaten. But it's just the Democrat registration advantage is so large. And, you know, Hammer, we talked about this last last week that it's just it doesn't seem like Carrasco the Republican has made enough inroads to beat this guy she's got a lot of people that support her but it just feels like people will vote straight ticket in Marion County when you are running against a guy that has a you know 60 percent to 40 percent registration advantage or 60 30 or whatever it is you gotta win a lot of unexpected votes and she's gonna win probably all the expected votes but she's not gonna win enough of those unexpected votes to to win the race what's coming up tomorrow well this may shock you guys but home sales are in big trouble and you boy, don't say boy who didn't see that one coming he's off the rails he's Rob Kendall it's the Hammer and Nigel show. Be sure to catch us every weekday, 3 to 7 on 93 WIBC or subscribe and get it right to your phone.